Welcome to the Avail Podcast, where we dig deep and talk about the art of leadership. My name is Virgil Sierra, and today we're sitting down with Michael Pitts. Michael and his wife, Kathy, are the founding pastors of Cornerstone Church in Toledo, Ohio, and oversee the Cornerstone Global Network of Churches and Leaders. His unique preaching style has gained him access to a wide variety of churches and countries around the world, and he has authored over a dozen books. In this episode, we'll unpack Michael's book entitled Fault Lines as we discuss practical insights on how to effectively deal with life quakes when they hit us. So lean in leaders, get ready to take some notes and let's get started. Welcome back everybody to another episode of the Avail podcast where we dig deep and we talk about the art of leadership with amazing leaders, pastors, authors, people who are impacting the globe with the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are back, everybody, and we have an amazing guest. Pastor Michael Pitts is with us in the house. Thank you for being with us, Pastor Michael. How does it feel to be on the Avail podcast? Man, this is like really something, Virgil. It's great to talk to you guys and to uh, join in with our Avail family. Man, we are we are looking forward to this. Uh, every week we get the blessing and opportunity to sit down and talk with amazing leaders, and I know this conversation is going to bless a lot of people. In a moment, we're gonna we're gonna dive into kind of a leadership conversation based on one of your books entitled Fault Lines. Before we do that, it would be great if you can uh, share a little bit about yourself with our Avail audience. Man, thank you, and I can't wait to talk about fault lines. I think it's going to be really helpful. My story is that I grew up in a classical Pentecostal home, which is, which is interesting. I like to say classical Pentecost because it sounds better than storefront church. And, uh, and grew up, my father was not a preacher. He was an elder. We went to church every Sunday and, of course, three or four times during the week. My father came out of Voice of Healing movement. He was healed of polio uh, hmm. as a teenager back when polio was crippling through the ministry wow. of Oral Roberts. And so that kind of put us into the what we call the tent circuit. And I was dedicated as a child under a tent. My wife and I met as teenagers in a tent meeting. <laughs> and um, <laughs> we started our church when we were 21 years old, uh, not in a tent, in a storefront, and pastored it for 35 years. And now we have um, a few hundred churches that we oversee. So um, I think that is the short version, which opens <laughs> up for a lot of questions, I'm sure. <laughs> Yeah, I love I love how you can never underestimate small beginnings, uh, and to know that you that you guys are now overseeing uh, the network of church, hundreds of churches throughout the world is such a is such a testament to the power of God, and and how even when something small you know is sparked in a church tent you know uh, or in a, and it starts in a storefront, uh, there's no telling what God can do with that when you're willing to believe in him and trust him along the journey. I love this. It's an, so, amazing, it's an amazing thing. Just one quick story is because uh-huh. when I was a teenager, I started preaching when I was in my teens and my, my vision was to get a Volkswagen van. I was going to live in it and hmm. travel around the state of Ohio. That was the, the <laughs> size of my vision. And so uh, to me, it's an amazing thing. What trusting God will do. I never knew he was going to take me where he was going to take me, teach me what he's taught me. And it's just, um, to me, returning the favor to God to be able to help anyone else along their journey. 
That's huge. That's huge. And I think that's why these conversations on the Avail podcast are so encouraging and even inspiring because uh, somebody might uh, really need to hear everything, even just that, what you just shared, Pastor Michael. I want to talk about your, your book, Fault Lines, um, which, is a, which is a great book. And, and I know that the Lord inspired this for a reason. Can you unpack a little bit about the heart behind why you wrote the book, Fault Lines? Yes, and, and thank you. And it, I would say that it's probably the most important book that I wrote um, because, you know, I've been in ministry for 40 years now, and you see a lot of people come and go. You see people struggle with life situations, and we have a lot of preaching on how to win the lost, but not a lot of teaching on how to retain the found. And many times in life, pastors and leaders will deal with people who hit what what I was referring to as a life quake, uh, rather than earthquake, but a life quake, and um, having having spent time talking with people, I felt like it was important to put out the statement that the things that shake you don't have to break you Mm. Um, because you're not going to get through life without bumps in the road. Some people hit them more tragically or more severely and more drastically than others. But if we can, if we can develop a, a mentality, a theology, a philosophy, a support system around helping each other through the difficult places of life, I think we will lose less people that that we don't need to lose. Man, that's a good word. Even as I think of of the people that we serve here uh, at Avail, which are a lot of leaders and pastors and ministry leaders, even marketplace leaders, um, I, I think none of us are exempt from facing life quakes. And, and I love that terminology, life quakes. Um, how can you just maybe... Um, unpack a little bit. How do people end up in a life quake? Yeah, I, I think. Uh, well, we, we. I think culturally, naturally, psychologically, emotionally, and spiritually, things converge. Um, and and sometimes it can be a bit of burnout. Sometimes it can be a bit of midlife. Sometimes it can be a bit of transition. And what happens is then value systems um, begin to shift on a person. Uh, when they're younger, mm-hmm. it's it's what they're driving. When they're older, it's where am I going? And mm-hmm. um, and so it becomes those kind of things. Where children move out, the church changes, culture changes. You become a little older, and um, I, I referred to it as a life quake. And the book is called Fault Lines because I find out that when people hit a place in life where their value system has shifted, it's like they built. Our houses are built on shifting sand or on shifting mm-hmm. tectonic plates, and it causes uh, a life quake. And it, it came to me this way. I was having a conversation with a pastor who had come to see me out of the blue, and he's talking to me about how great everything is, you know, about he just <laughs> built this new house. He just got his graduating kids, new cars. Professional athletes were seeking him out. All of these great things. And um, my discernment was moving on the inside of me. And I said, well, if everything is going so great, why did you come to see me? And he just broke. Mm. And he began to weep. And he said, I'm, I'm lost. I feel like I've lost my way. I've been doing this. And now I'm realizing um, things are not working. And I'm feeling lost. And I realized that he was having a life quake because he had built his house on a set of ethics and values 
that were no longer important to him. It was no longer now, oh, I got my kids' cars. The question was, why don't my kids want to come home and see me? Um, mm. The point was I had, he had built a house, but his family was struggling. Mm. Um, and, and it became more about intrinsic values rather than personal possessions. And um, so that kind of was the impetus behind me leaning into and investigating what happens in a person's life. Yeah, that's good. From your from, from your experience, Pastor Michael, you know, uh, even overseeing uh, so many churches in the network, um, can you think of maybe a couple of common life quakes or a co- maybe some patterns that sometimes pastors and ministry leaders sometimes face and maybe feel ashamed to admit? Because that's another thing with leaders um, and pastors is sometimes it's hard or we don't know who we can share, you know, these things that are happening, whether it's internal or family relational. Can, can you maybe share just some yeah, common well, me, patterns you've seen or specifically? If I could answer that part of it first, because that uh-huh. becomes part of the problem is that, that people don't have someone to talk to or to trust. Mm. Shame makes people hide. And, and when we hide, then we can't be helped. But people hide because they don't have people to trust. We have a lot of talk in our circles about spiritual warfare. And then we act like we're surprised when someone is wounded. But in every military, there's mass units. In every city, there's hospitals. In every football team or sporting event, they have doctors on the sidelines. They expect people uh, to suffer injuries. And... uh, Faith is a contact sport. You're not going to get down the road without some hits. The problem with leading is that people are always depending on you. And you have to do good even when you don't feel good. And if you play when you're hurt, that's one thing. If you play when you're injured, you can do permanent damage. And yet, and yet because we are wired like we are, like a, like a, a, a great football player, we tell the coach, no, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. Put me back in the game. Yeah. Uh, because we don't want to admit that, that something is torn, something is wounded, something is hurt. And since we don't have a mechanism in place, we talk about this spiritual warfare. I had many of my family that are now serving in military and historically go all the way back to the Revolutionary War in America. Hmm. And when people have been wounded in war, they come home, they're recognized as heroes, and they get a medal, which, which is good and perfect. But when people are in spiritual warfare and they get wounded or hurt, they get cast aside. Hmm. And we don't have a mechanism in place. And I think those who have been around for a while and those who have uh, the capacity and the insight have to be able to build into the culture of the church. There wouldn't be these scriptures. There wouldn't be these scriptures when a brother is overtaken in a fall. That wouldn't right. be in the scripture if it wasn't necessary. Yeah. Um, if you have ought one against another, that wouldn't be in the scripture if it wasn't necessary. Hmm. The strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak. Those things would not be in scriptures unless they are necessary. And I think in today's world, it's so necessary. Because, you know, when coming through COVID, the number of pastors that I talked to who felt like old things resurfaced in their life, you know, whether it was uh, drinking problems, addictive problems, pornography problems, or depressional issues, or feeling like you're, you're left out, 
and uh, anxiety, um, what does my future hold, uncertainty, so many things begin to resurface and people were reaching out to me because they had no one to talk to. Wow. You know, I, th I think what you're saying is huge because uh, there's, there's two sides of, of helping, you know, when we're pastors and when we're leaders, there's the aspect of, we got to help others as they're going through their life quakes. But, but the reality is we go through life quakes ourselves. And I think that's what you're alluding to now. Now here's, here's a challenge. And I know, I know you delve into this in the book, uh, the, the concept of prodigals. Yeah. And uh, I think it's hard sometimes for, for us to understand how can we best help prodigals and what are they going through? And can you, can you share a little bit about some insights uh, as how you had this in the book? Yeah, to me, it's fascinating because it, 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 throughout our lifetime, we're going to play all three roles of the three main characters in the prodigal, the three characters of the father. Who be, uh, the, the young man who becomes the prodigal and the older brother. At, at some place in our life, we'll probably play one of those roles. As it relates to prodigals, I think we have to approach it, um, at least it's my philosophy that we should approach it, with the concept that there has to be a road for prodigals to come home. That's the main emphasis of the story. There has to be a road. When the prodigal came to himself, he said, I will rise and go to my father's house, which tells me he knew the way home. Mm -hmm. There has to be a road for prodigals to come home. I am against the assassination of prodigals. <laughs> I'm against this mentality, um, which again causes people to hide because they don't know how to come home. Right. And so if we're, it, I think as a church, we have to, we have to understand that the prodigal may have been in the pig pen, but he was always a son. His behavior didn't act like it. He didn't look like it. He smelled like a pig. He was in the pig pen. But the revelation that he got was that I'm not a pig. I'm a son. I right. go to my father's house. And when people go astray, when they have a sideways season, when they drift from their ethics and values, when they act outside of themselves, whether, whether it's through pain, whether it's through overt disobedience, whatever it may be, when a person comes to themselves, can they come back home? And I, the, the position of the father was incredible because he covers his son you know, in this, in this garment to keep the neighbors from throwing trash on him, which is where we get the concept of trashing someone. It was the custom uh, in those days that if you had disrespected your father on your way home, the neighbors came to the edge of their property and threw trash on you. Wow. And, and so his father covered him so they wouldn't do that. I think to myself this thing, the father never interrogated him because he knew this is not the, the young man that left my house. He's been in famine. He's, he's emaciated. He stinks. He probably hasn't shaved. Whatever all of the outward appearances were, the father knows this is not the young man that left my house and we're going to throw a party because he's home. The older brother to me represents tightly wound religious people that feel like somehow their good nature and their credibility is damaged because they receive a prodigal home. He's out in the backyard and refuses to come to the party because he did everything right. He did not have that kind of a season. But he also assumes things. You know, your son um, spent all of his money with prostitutes. 
Well, prostitutes were not mentioned anywhere in the story. So, uh, so to me, that's what psychologists call projection. He -hmm. knows what he would have done if he'd had that money, it would have been some prostitutes involved. So, so he refuses to come to the party. And I love the language of the father because the father goes out to meet the prodigal coming home and the father goes out to the backyard to talk to the other brother. The language of the older brother is your son, your son, your son. The language of the father is your brother, your brother. And so uh, to me, that's in a nutshell, the capacity, because I believe we have a prodigal generation. We have an entire generation of people who are living outside of the ethics they've been taught, feeling their oats, whatever kind of vocabulary you want to put with it. We have to be prepared for the prodigals to come home. Are you ready to take your leadership to the next level? Avail is proud to announce that for a limited time, you can get over $273 worth of leadership resources in the Avail Plus box for just $10 in shipping. Inside the Avail Plus box, you'll find leadership books, study guides, magazines, and other content that we know will equip you with everything you need to inspire, motivate, and guide your team to success. Stop putting off your leadership growth on the back burner and start investing in becoming the leader you were made to be. Learn practical strategies, knowledge, and leadership tools curated by some of the industry's leading experts. Take the first step in your leadership growth. Purchase your Avail Plus box today before they're all gone by visiting availbox.com. I think that's a good word, Pastor Michael, because uh, it, it's true. There, there is. I like the way that you put it. That in our lifetime, we're we're going to play probably all three roles at some point and find ourselves in those shoes. Uh, and I think this is important for us as leaders because the reality, especially pastors and ministry leaders, uh, th- there is no perfect church with with perfect Christians who live it out perfectly and walk walk out the walk perfectly. And and I think that this is a challenging. This is a challenging subject. Can I can I ask you, um, is there a personal um, connection to this? Is there a reason why your heart gravitated towards towards really touching on this issue of of the prodigals? I, I think so because over forty years, um, I have I have helped to worked with and supported those returning home. Mm. Some whose names, if I would mention your listeners would know um, notable people and there were times that I also took um, a lot of arrows because of people that I supported because people didn't understand the difference between agreement and support just because I love someone just because I'm supporting someone just because I care for someone does not mean I condone nor do I agree with the decisions they're making And I found it difficult, as I said, that faith is a contact sport, but I don't like being tackled by people with the same jersey on. And and I and I felt like we have a little bit of an uh, of a dysfunctional need in the body to distance ourselves from people who are struggling. When I believe we're called to close that gap. And and the other parable, which is very well known, is the Good Samaritan, and the religious ones that were uh, related to us in that parable distance themselves from the man who was fell amongst thieves. They go to the other side of the road. 
Uh, they don't want to touch something that's unclean. And it was the good. It was the Samaritan who became good because they closed the gap, went to him, and ministered to him. I believe that most of the time, the worst thing you can do for someone who is struggling is to distance yourself. I think we have to close that gap. And whatever that looks like, I'm not saying that you put them on platforms. I'm not saying that you put them in immediate return positions in your church. I'm saying the the support of being close to someone and doing what we can do. Here's, here's what the Bible says. It says, when a brother is overtaken in a fault, those of you who are spiritual should seek to restore. In a spirit of meekness, considering yourself. So I don't know why why it involves um, a good uh, a good uh, whooping I'll call it for my for my upbringing. I don't know why your restoration involves a good whooping or pl- public flogging. Uh, that is not meekness. That is designed to make let everybody know that you don't agree or approve. And I think if someone is drowning in a pond, pointing out the no swimming sign can wait till another day. How about you jump in the pond, and then we can talk about why did you not <laughs> pay attention to that sign? We can do that later. That's good, um, I, and I love it because that goes right into where I wanted to go next. Is this concept of of restoration? There's a concept of restoration. There's also a concept of reconciliation. Both are extremely important to the Lord. Both should be extremely important to us uh, as Christians, uh, and not to mention as leaders. Um, can you, can you just talk a little bit about this? Cause I think, I think sometimes people can confuse or not differentiate between the two restoration reconciliation. Yeah. Uh, and then I also what, the, what's the heart the of it? The importance of it, the importance of it, because everyone would agree, every pastor, every leader, every business owner would agree. We live in a more divisive time potentially than any other time in our lifetime. So that is, that demands the need for understanding reconciliation because Jesus said it's, it's offenses will come. And in today's world, we have people who are professionally offended and they're upset every day at somebody. And yet the Bible says that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting our sins against us and has hmm. given to us the ministry of reconciliation. And I believe in all fivefold ministry gifts and all of those kind of things. And I know apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. I know deacons and adjutants and church mothers and everything. But I don't hear many people promoting the ministry of reconciliation hmm. to reconcile. But that's the ministry. That's part of the ministry that we've given, been given. How do we reconcile? How do we put things back together? And I would say that as it's reconciliation or restoration, I don't know that there is a codified way, a four-step process uh, for anything. I think it has to do with individuals. I, I'm not opposed to the fact that restoration. Uh, is uh, may demand correction. It may demand time. Uh, certainly demands accountability. I'm not. I'm not excluding any of those things. Reconciliation has to do with a heart matter. And in in today's world, we're trying to reconcile groups of people, which I don't think is possible. I think you reconcile people one on one. When Jesus met the woman at the well, and she had her racial issues. As a Samaritan with the Jewish people who she recognized Jesus as, and your people worship over here, our people worship over here. Jesus sent his disciples away. Hmm. 
<laughs> because it's it's it would be more difficult to bring any kind of reconciliation <laughs> with those guys sitting there. And I think reconciliation is a heart. It's a heart that we have, that wherever there's injury, that we try to heal it. Wherever there's a gap, we try to stand in it and try to help people understand where the other party is coming from and how we can both come together in Christ. That's a, that's that's my preacher voice right there. I like it. I like it. I like your preacher voice. I like it. You know, I like this. I like the heart of, of your book, Fault Lines, because it really deals with it really deals with an with an issue that is very very real for pretty much everybody and as leaders we have a voice we have a responsibility as pastors i feel like we have this responsibility uh, especially when people are going through maybe the hardest moments of their lives the most confusing aspects of of relationships and faith um, do you have do you have any practical recommendations or tips for maybe maybe pastors and leaders who are leaning in pastor Michael and they're asking, how do we get better at this? Like, like how, how do we, how do we become uh, a church or a community where we get better at helping to restore and yeah. reconcile? I think so. You, you know? I, I think we get better at it by one, losing our attachment to the opinions of what I'll call the older brother crowd. Um, <laughs> trying to explain why do I need to explain the fact that if I'm helping a drug addict recover, why do I need to explain to you the fact that no, I don't condone drugs. No, I don't, uh, right. I don't approve of the light. Why do I have to waste my energy talking to brothers who should know why I'm involved in the process? Someone mm -hmm. whose family has fallen apart. That's, that's one of the ways. I think the second way is personalizing it. If my son were uh, whatever, sideways, I'm using uh, addiction right now because it's such a high uh, yeah. problem. So if, if my son, my son lives in Australia, if my son was a drug addict and was out in the worst season of his life, and because I can't get to him, somehow he decided to get up and go to somebody's church on a Sunday, what would I want that to look like? Do I want people... To look at him and know what they're looking at, but put their arms around him and say, welcome home. You're welcome here. Or do I want him to go someplace that's going to say, well, you know, point out all of the things that he already knows that's wrong with his life. I think, I think if we personalize it and have the heart of a father, of a mother, of a brother, mm. of someone who cares... Um, and, and we lose our attachment to what religious people or our friends have to say about it. I, I think that goes a long way. And teaching our churches, teaching our churches or our businesses or the people close to us, this is what we do. This is what we do. We run towards, you know, we're first responders. I'm a hostage negotiator, okay? I'm a first responder. And everybody else can run from you, but I'm going to run towards the fire. And... I'm, I'm going to risk taking a few burns. I'm going to risk taking a few arrows. I'm going to risk the fact that some people won't respond well to treatment. But I'm going to risk it because I would rather do that than to hear the bad stories about how you crashed and burned. Yeah, that's good. That's good. I think it's a good word. I hear, I hear by losing our attachment to the opinions of the older brother crowd, I hear personalizing the situation, kind of placing ourselves and... How would we feel? And then teaching about it, 
yeah. and talking about the fact we are first responders. We this is real life. Um, you know, in for the sake of maybe vulnerability, I, I love I love to get real with pastors and authors like yourself, Pastor Michael. Um, would you say that earlier in your career there was a, a a moment or a time where you maybe you didn't do this as well as you as you maybe you didn't see this as clearly as you see it now. Maybe with some hindsight, as you look at your your younger self, right, and maybe even consider some younger pastors and leaders that are connecting here on a veil. Um, what, what what would you say, or, or or could you remember when you were younger? Was this a little harder, or or what would you say? Sometimes when people have a little less experience and less mileage in ministry, it's hard to see this this way. Yes, um, yes, and no, I think I can be direct about it. The the, the problem with our youth is that when we are, all of us, when we are in our youth, we speak with certitude. Um, we act like we, we stick our stakes really far down in the ground because we don't know we're going to have to pull some of them up later. And we, we think we know, almost like adolescents that want to tell their parents how to run the house. And, and we think things are going to be a certain way and we speak with a little bit too much certitude. That's what hinders us from doing it. Also, as we're younger, younger people seek platforms and opportunities as to where experience teaches you to value relationships and people. And some of the very people that will give you a platform and a microphone will drop you like a hot potato if, they, if, you, should ever, um, if you should ever have a bad season. And, um, and I don't want to make light of bad season. I'm not talking about justifying people living in sin. See, I feel this right. Need. I feel this need for all the older brothers that might be, you know, mm-hmm. hearing this. I always feel that need to make sure that they understand. But um, I was brought up um, in, in this concept. I, I, I started saying this thing to in my own head. This is this is my, my personal thing. In my own head, I developed this statement that went like this. I don't have to feel good to do good. Mm. That's what I would tell myself. Because every pastor knows this feeling. You can be going through the toughest time of your life. Somebody can break your heart on a Friday or a Saturday, but Sunday is coming. And you have to get up and you, whether it's weddings or funerals, uh, whether it's Sunday mornings, conference, it just keeps coming. Even when you are trying to live life and sort out your own feelings, sorting out your own mm-hmm. life issues. And so I just developed a statement that I don't have to feel good to do good. Right. And one day it was kind of like, uh, however a person would say, God talks to them or the Holy Spirit made them to know. I had this little epiphany where I felt like God said to me, you know, you're allowed to feel good and do good. <laughs> and I had never really considered it. But a lot of our, a lot, a lot of the things that we deal with comes from unresolved pain. It's not the pain. It's not the issue. It's the fact that they're unresolved and we don't know how to punctuate something and go on and rewrite our story. And um, so, yes, I, I, I don't think any any honest pastor or leader has ever led anything that wouldn't say somewhere along the way you lose focus or you lose yourself in it. You gain the whole world and lose your own soul, hmm. your, your, your soul, your psyche, yourself. You can lose yourself in the middle of it. And you have to have those times of regrouping and redefining. I love that. I, I love this conversation. I think... I think um, we need conversations like this as leaders. Uh, in addition to the organizational leadership and structure stuff, I think we need conversations about how to deal with hearts and souls uh, and how to help, uh, especially when we're spiritual leaders, 
Um, I love this. The book is Fault Lines. Um, Pastor Michael, if people are are wondering how they can um, get this book, how they can connect with you and, and the resources you offer, where, where are the best places to push them towards? Well, I know it's available on Amazon, of course, but if you go to michaelpitts.com, that's as easy as I could make it. You know, that's my <laughs> name with a dot com. Michaelpitts.com. I have all kinds of things there. And people can find me on Facebook or Instagram uh, at Bishop Pitts, you know. And um, yeah, that's that's my way of getting things out there. Beautiful. So you guys heard that. Bishop Pitts on social media and then website michaelpitts.com. I know that there's other resources. There's there's many books. There's even some study guides that accompany some of those books. Check out those resources, everybody. Michaelpitts.com. I want to do I want to do a little bit, uh, maybe a, a minute or two of quick response. Just kind of quick response. Uh, you don't have to think too much about them. You ready, Pastor Michael? Here we go. Let's do it. All right. What makes you laugh? What makes me? Everybody. Everybody makes me laugh. <laughs> Okay, here's another one. What does Michael Pitts do for fun? Michael Pitts does for fun. Um, I like to paint from time to time and um, and to cook from time to time. All right. Well, what do you like to cook? Oh, man, I can cook things. Oh, here we go. So I can cook oxtail. <laughs> Most people don't know how to cook oxtail. Ooh. I can cook oxtail. And I can cook a, a dish that I kind of created, which is a chicken uh, with spaghetti uh, olive oil, kind of. I don't know what we call it, but my come on, I'm already hungry. I love yeah, it. Yeah. All right, here's here's another question. Here's another question. Is there somebody, or is there a uh, is there some, a leader or somebody that, as you were growing in ministry, you kind of looked and said, "I love learning from that person." Yeah, when I was very young, what was a lifesaver to me is that Dr. Lester Summerall um, took me under his wings, and so I. Until the time of his death, uh, then I did that. When I was about 30, 30 years old, I was preaching at the Azusa conferences and met Bishop uh, T.D. Jakes. Huh. And and for 30 years, he's been the guy. He's my go-to talk-to guy. Wow. Um, yeah. That's awesome. And then last question. What encourages you as you look to the future? What encourages me, I think, is my general feeling that every generation comes to the kingdom bringing what the kingdom needs at that time. And I think that that the emerging generation, though acting out, acting up, and acting confused, there is in them some kind of a way, a seed to answers that hmm. have yet to be uncovered. I like that. I like that. I like that. So here's what I want to do. I want to uh, remind everybody, if you want to tap into some of the resources Pastor Michael Pitts offers, michaelpitts.com. I'm going to also mention the Avail Journal here, everybody. The Avail Journal, this is a leadership journal. As far as I'm concerned, it's one of the best Christian leadership journals. It looks good. It feels good. The content is amazing. Great leadership content from great leaders and pastors. Would you agree, Pastor Michael, having good resources no, helps out? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I get it every month, so... Yeah. Yeah. It's great. Um, uh, I would love for you to share just a final thought, Pastor Michael, final thought on your heart. And let me, I forgot to mention, if you guys want a free trial subscription and you're not on it, 
availjournal.com availjournal.com free trial subscription that's how you can get it final thought pastor michael final f- encouragement whatever the lord puts on your heart right now for our leaders yeah this might be kind of interesting but i think my final thought would be beloved let us love one another jesus said that was the way that people would know that we are his disciples not by the mm. buildings we build or the conferences that we hold or the books that we write um, and, I, and I see the world today pulling apart, which gives us a great opportunity to be an example. I believe that the world is the students and the church is the teachers. Jesus told us to go and make disciples, teaching all nations. We're the teachers. They're the students. So let's get busy with doing the stuff Jesus told us to do. Care about each other. Absorb each other's humanity. Give each other a little space. Put our arms around each other. And let the world see what love looks like. <laughs> That's a good word. Drop the mic, Pastor Michael Pitts. I like that. <laughs> um, man, this has been a great conversation, Pastor Michael. I love it. I want to just mention on behalf of Dr. Sam Chand, uh, Martin Van Tilburg, the whole Avail team who works behind the scenes. We just want to tell you we honor you. We're thankful for your life. And we really appreciate you uh, pouring out some of your expertise, experience, and uh, and anointing with us today. Well, I have to tell everyone, and, and thank you, uh, Virgil, but uh, Doc Chan is one of those people that I glean from constantly. <laughs> Isn't he great? He's one of a kind. <laughs> yeah, he is. And Pastor Michael Pitts, you are one of a kind as well. Thankful for you, your wife, your family, the ministry that you guys continue to oversee. May the Lord continue to give you favor and grace to do so. Uh, it is a great blessing. And I, hey, everybody, I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Uh, remember, there's a new Avail podcast episode that pops out fresh and hot every single week where we talk to amazing leaders like Pastor Michael Pitts. Remember, michaelpitts.com is the website for the free trial subscription of Avail. Go to availjournal.com. On behalf of Avail, my name is Virgil Sierra, lead pastor of Vertical Church, a.k.a. Iglesia Vertical here in South Florida. We're one church, two languages, and I'm your host, for this weekly podcast where we dig deep and talk about the art of leadership. God bless you, everybody. And we'll catch you next time right here on the Avail Podcast. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Avail Podcast with our guest, Michael Pitts. You can find out more about Michael on social media at Bishop Pitts and by going to his website, michaelpitts.com. For more leadership resources, check us out at theartofleadership.com. And make sure to claim your free trial subscription of the Avail Journal at availjournal.com. As always, I'm your Avail podcast host, Virgil Sierra. Muchas gracias. Thank you for connecting with us to learn the art of leadership here at the Avail podcast.